Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you here tonight. Isn't it good to be back in church? Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm still stirred from Sunday. Had a great day on Sunday. Uh, boy, I was walking down the hall this, uh, this past week, and I think it was Tuesday because we had Monday off, and I ran into Miss Autumn, and Miss Autumn says, isn't it just good to be back here? I said, yeah. She said, I'm just still excited about Sunday. She said, you know, I spent all day Monday just rejoicing how good Sunday was. That's just good to hear. It's encouraging to hear other folks excited about being in church. What a blessed day it was. We had a packed house, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we should advertise more often that every Sunday we're going to celebrate the resurrection. I think we should just do that. Every Sunday we're going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, and we just had a great day, great Easter egg hunt, and I don't know how many thousand eggs were out there, but I'm sure you families enjoyed opening up every one of them and getting all that candy out for your kiddos, and, uh, and then we had an unusual service. You weren't here Sunday night. We had a little bit of a different service. Uh, I told the church, it always scares me to death when you start putting microphones in the hands of people. Uh, the Lord led us to have a testimony service, and you got to share your story Sunday night. What a blessing it was to hear how you came to Christ, and a lot of you got to share how you came to know the Lord. And uh, there at the end of the service, I think you saw Brother Nate's post the other night, at the end of the service, uh, Maddie comes up to her mom. She says, I don't have a story, but she wanted one. At the end of the service on Sunday night, Maddie trusted Christ as her Savior. Just ended the day well. It was just a great day to be back in God's house, and I'm thankful to be back here again tonight and looking forward to what God wants to do in the book of Lamentations. We're going to go back there tonight. Book of Lamentations. Let me echo what Brother AJ said. Uh, excited about our buses, about to be rolling again soon. Glad to have them back. I learned by seeing, and uh, I asked Brother AJ and Miss Sarah if they didn't mind to go to see a bus ministry that I've seen many times and runs really well. I said, I want you to go see this bus ministry, learn all you can, and come back, and let's incorporate that here at Central. And uh, we were at their house last night, and they had a slideshow presented for us, showing us how good of a time they had. And lo and behold, Brother AJ was up on a bus singing and uh, just having a good old time outdoor knocking with the folks there at the church. And I'm excited about what God wants to do through that. And our Sunday school, we had a Sunday school uh, teachers meeting tonight and so thankful for that. If you haven't gotten enrolled in one of our new Sunday school classes or your old Sunday school class, be sure you find one that fits you. I assure you it'll be a blessing to you and your family. Uh, I think COVID is kind of uh, thawing out just a little bit and uh, things are getting back to somewhat of a normal pace and uh, I feel it's, it's fairly safe to come out of the woods. I can't give you the final authority on that. That's between you and the Lord, but I do want to encourage you to get out, come to Sunday school and uh, let's see what the Lord wants to do to build and grow our church through that. Lamentations chapter 1, we've been preaching through this all year long, and uh, so far we've made it down to about verse number 10, and uh, we're just going to pick up and go as far as we can tonight and share something with you that I believe the Lord would have us to learn. Now, just a quick recap on the book of Lamentations. Basically, what we're looking at is God has preserved for us a record of people that are just like you and I, same temptations you and I have, uh, the same struggles in life, even though it was a long time ago, they had the same struggles we do, and that's simply trying to live for God. They are God's people. They know what, what thus saith the Lord has commanded for them in their lives, and yet they are fighting with that, and eventually they forsook God. And the book of Lamentations is exactly what happens when you forsake God, and God gives us a detailed picture of that. I want to encourage you in your Bible study time, read through the book of Lamentations many times because it gives us a challenge of what we don't want to do. God loved us enough to preserve the record of those that rebelled against him. And you look at the course America is on today, and we are following in the footsteps of exactly what we're reading about in the book of Lamentations. Now tonight, we're going to read verse 10, 11, and 12, and jump right into it and look at another lesson out of the book of Lamentations. Verse number 10, 
The Bible says the adversary hath spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things. For she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh, they seek bread, they have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile." Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. That's a lot to unravel. Let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom. Father, thank you for the privilege again to come and open your word. Thank you for these lessons and lamentations you've preserved for us. Lord, they're not here by accident. Lord, you've preserved them for us to learn from and to be admonished by, and I pray we would tonight. Help our church, Lord, to lead our Jerusalem, Father. Help us, Lord, to point men and women, Lord, to you in salvation, and Lord, those that are saved in repentance back to you. Help that to begin with our hearts and with our church. Lord, perhaps you would be merciful and gracious to us as a country, and Lord, we wouldn't have to experience, Lord, what's going on here as we read tonight. Lord, work your will through your word tonight, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to jump right into it if we could. I was thinking this afternoon that uh, when you read the book of Lamentations, it's often like you're reading an autopsy report. Uh, You know, sometimes there'll be a crash or an accident, and they'll go and they'll do an autopsy to try to determine the cause of death, and there'll be a report presented that tells you exactly how the coroner believes uh, that they passed away, and that's what the book of Lamentations is much like. It's giving us the cause of death for the people of God that have forsaken God, and we're seeing what happens when you turn your back on God. I was thinking a lot about the crash scenes that oftentimes occur after an airplane goes down. Uh, Brother AJ was telling me on their way up to Chicago. Chicago the other day, they had an adventurous flight uh, as they hit about 15 minutes of turbulence, and there's nothing like turbulence to get you close with the Lord. Uh, Brother AJ says he's walking closer with the Lord now than he ever has before after he went through all of that turbulence. But I read this afternoon about what I remember in my lifetime uh, was the crash back in 1996 of TWA uh, 800 off the coast of New York. Uh, you remember that flight? There's a lot of conspiracy theories how that flight went down, and uh, the plane crashed in the water, and for four years they were picking up pieces of that plane uh, off the bottom of the water there, and they slowly but surely, out of the thousands of pieces of that plane, they put together the main part of that fuselage and and decided exactly how they think or how they want us to think, I guess, if you're into conspiracy theories, exactly how that plane went down. But they put all of those pieces back together to decide exactly what brought about their demise. Now, this is what the book of Lamentations is for us. The book of Lamentations is showing us a people, a nation, the people of God, who have utterly crashed into a million pieces. And God wants us to take all of these pieces and put them back together for us to learn by to see exactly what caused the crash of this nation. Now, we know that it ultimately boils down to them forsaking God. But do we understand what forsaking God really means? All right, we talk about it. Let me give you the definition of what the word forsake means. It means to refuse or push away. All right, to refuse or to push away. God says, this is what happens when my people refuse me or my people push me away. What happens is what we're reading about in the book of Lamentations. Now, All throughout the Word of God, we read what happens when we forsake God. Let me give you a few examples. Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. 
All right, God spelled it out for us very clearly that when we forsake or push away from God, we will be put to shame. Joshua 24, 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm, all right? So we forsake God, God's going to do us harm. But here's what I want you to hear tonight, Psalm 78, 41. This is going to help us see exactly what happens when we forsake God. Psalm 78, 41, yea, they turned back, that's forsaking God, and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now listen close. The Bible says they turned back from God. And in turning back from God, they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now watch closely. God is illustrating for us the cause and effect of what happens when we forsake God. And he's equating it to this word, limited. It says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, here's what I want you to see. I appreciate Brother Lenny picking me up uh, this faucet this afternoon. I am an illustrative guy, and I see things when I, I, I read the Bible. I have an elementary mind, as you probably know very well by now. And so this is what I see when I read that verse. All right, we know what this is. This is a faucet, all right? And when you turn this faucet the right way, good things come out, right? Uh, unless you have city water, and it's just the best you can get coming out of it, right? All right, but uh, I grew up on, the, on a family property. We had a well 200 feet deep, and when you turn that faucet, good cold spring water came out of the ground, freezing cold. The kids who have been to camp, that's what we fill the pool up with, and that first camp is the coldest because the water hasn't warmed up yet. But you turn this faucet the right way, good stuff comes out. Are you with me? We see how that works? We turn it the right way, good things come out. But we turn it this other way, and it shuts it off. Do we get that tonight? Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible says, yea, they turned back from God, they tempted God, and in turning from God, what did they do? The Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel. So watch this. God's spigot is open. The blessings of God, the providence of God, the promises of God, all the benefits that come with having a holy God as your Father was theirs. We read in the book of, uh, of Exodus and Deuteronomy, we read in Joshua, all the promises God made them. And so the faucet was open. And God says, as long as the faucet is open and you're turned this way, it's going to flow. And know how it did flow. We see when they came out of Egypt, how God provided for them. He split the Red Sea. He provided manna from heaven. I mean, the faucet just kept flowing and flowing and flowing. But then you know what they did? The Bible says in Psalm 78, 41, yea, they turned back. They turned back. The Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Now watch this. Do you know what happens when you turn this back? You start limiting the flow. All that good stuff that was coming out of there, I'm talking about good spring water, not city water, all right? Uh, man, in Louisiana, I filled up the baptistry and I couldn't see my feet. I'm not joking. I had to hold on to who I was baptized because you'd lose them if you didn't hold on to them. They'd get lost down there. I mean, it was like pond water. I'm talking about good water, all right? What God has coming out of that faucet is the good stuff, and yet when we turn from him, we limit the flow of what God wants to do. So what's Israel learning here in the book of Lamentations, verse 10, 11, and 12 tonight, what they're learning is the lesson of limitations, all right? Not the lesson of lamentations. Tonight, we're going to look at the lesson of limitations, uh, li limitations, not lemons. That may be next week because I'm running out of L's. But tonight, we're going to learn the lesson of limitations, all right? When you turn from God, 
you forsake God and you turn from God, you're going to limit what God wants to do in your life. Now, folks, the sad thing is today, there's a lot of Christians that are living under a spigot that's just barely dripping the blessings of God out on their life. Why? Because they've turned from God. And we wonder, God, why aren't you blessing me? God, why aren't you doing in my life what you used to do? Here we are in America tonight in 2021, and we have the audacity to wonder why God is not blessing America anymore. You say, God, at every ball game, I sing the song, God bless America, and you're just not blessing us, and it's just a drip, and it's just a drip, and it's just a drip. It's not God's fault. Why? We have turned from him, and now we are limiting the Holy One of Israel. And if we want God to bless us, you know what we've got to do? We've got to turn this thing back. And that turning back is called repentance. And when we repent and turn back to God, the faucet comes on again. I don't know how to illustrate it any more clearly or plainly for you tonight. So tonight I want to show you three areas that we limit God when we forsake him. We begin in verse number 10. The Bible says the adversary has spread out his hand. Now, what are we looking at? We're looking at the city of Jerusalem destroyed. The walls, the gates, it's burning. It's a disaster. And the Bible says the adversary has spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she has seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command they should not enter into thy congregation. Now, what we're reading about in verse number 10 is nothing less than invasion. All right? It's nothing less than an invasion. What's happened? They've not only entered into the, the city, the Bible says they've entered into the sanctuary and into the congregation. Now, Jerusalem has been blessed of God. God's hand has been there. God's protection has been there. But they have now forsaken God. And look at the result. They are finding out this, that when you forsake God, you limit preservation. All right? Stick with me. When you forsake God and you turn away from God, what does God provide for us? He provides for us preservation. God provides us that hedge of protection. What had kept Job safe all those years? God's hedge of protection. Who built the hedge? Satan knew who built the hedge. He says, thou hast built the hedge about him. God was the one who had preserved Job. God was the one who had protected Job. Now, why? Because Job had turned to God. But as soon as we turn away from God, then we limit God's preservation in our life. Let me back that up for you with scripture. Joshua 23, 11 through 13. Listen close. Before Joshua dies, he gives them one last charge. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. Else, if you do in any wise go back, what did he say? If you go back, don't turn back. All right, God wants to bless you, but don't turn back. The Bible says, cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes. Now, wait a minute. God says, I'll preserve you. God says, I'll protect you. God says, I'll keep a hedge about you, but don't you turn away from me. God says, when you start turning away from me, watch this, that faucet of blessings, that the preservation of God came out, all of a sudden that faucet's going to get turned off. Because when we turn from God, listen, how on earth can we expect, watch this, God's help in our life when we push away God's hand from our life? Think about that. 
God, I don't want your hand in my life. God, I don't want you to tell me what to do. God, I don't want you to order my home. God, I don't want you to tell me how to live my life or run my home. But I sure do want you to protect me. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. If we want God's help, we've got to understand that God's help always comes with his hand. And when we turn away from God's hand in our life, we're also turning away from God's help in our life. Folks, can I tell you there's a lot of people in this world, there's a lot of people in our city, maybe even our church tonight, that need a lot of help, and they're under fire, and they're getting beat up, and they're wondering why they're getting beat up, and the sad truth is we don't have that preservation or protection from God because we turn from him. And when we turn from his hand, we're turning from his help. C.S. Lewis said this. I love reading behind him. He has some good quotes. He said, as an atheist, when he rejected God, He was asked one day what made him be an atheist. Why would he not trust God and turn to God? Here's what he said. He says, hidden in the corner of his heart was something with a fence around it, with a sign that read hands off. He says, I didn't want anyone, including God, to interrupt my plans. He says, the reason I wouldn't allow God's hand in my life is because I didn't want God to interrupt my plans. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to do as an occupation, where he wanted to go in life. He knew what he was aspiring toward. And he knew, watch this, in order to surrender and yield to God, that meant yielding all to God. And he had a little part of his heart where he had a sign on it that said, keep out. Do you know what happens when you put a sign on any part of your heart or your life telling God to keep out? Watch this. When you don't yield to his hand, You can't accept his help. They come literally hand in hand. And we're seeing Israel. What does the Bible say? The Bible says she's been invaded. I mean, the one who God had protected and God had provided for. You see, just like C.S. Lewis, we can't ask for God's help and yet reject his hand. But that's what we do, don't we? We don't want God to have a hand in our life, in our home, and the raising of our children. And that's why we don't have the blessings and protection of God on our home and our nation anymore. Deuteronomy 6.24, the Bible says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, listen to this, for our good always. He says, I want you to hear what I say and do what I tell you to. Why? For our good always. Do you know being obedient to God is always for our good? Being obedient to God, turning to God, yielding to God, letting God put his hand in any part of your life that he wants to. By the way, he owns it. You know, in just a few minutes, Lord willing, a few minutes relative, I'm going to go get in my car and I'm going to drive back to the house. I'm not going to ask permission to get in that car. I'm just going to get in that car and I'm going to drive home. Why? It's my car. I don't own it yet, but I'm owning it. All right. Just made a note the other day, getting closer and closer. I'm owning it. All right. But it's my car. I'm not going to ask you for permission to get in my car. I'm going to get in the car and drive off. Why? Because it's mine. Why should God ask for permission? to put his hand in your life and to restructure your life and your home and your mind, your way of thinking, anything God wants to restructure, why should he ask our permission? He owns us. By the way, it's for our good always. Why? Keep reading verse 24, Deuteronomy 6, that he might preserve us alive. God says, listen to me and obey what I've got to say because I want to preserve you. By the way, he's the only one who can preserve us. I'm so thankful for the mighty, mighty United States military who have defended us and protected us throughout all kinds of of wars and struggles throughout our, our young history. But I want you to know what's protected this country and preserved this country up until now has been nothing less than the mighty hand of God. God used our soldiers, and I'm thankful for that. But it was God, 
Listen, no army on the planet, Armageddon's going to prove that. No army on the planet could overwhelm or overcome God. And so the only thing that's preserved us up until now is the fact that we were turned to God and God has preserved this young nation. Listen, when Washington faced off, I think it was the second battle of Trenton against Cornwallis, what kept him going? It was not his military might. We were outgunned. It was the mighty hand of God preserving us. When communism was marching across Europe, And this young country, the United States, stepped up to go help the world and to join the allies. Do you know what pushed back communism? It was the mighty hand of God. God preserved us then. And we've had war of terrorism and all of these things. What has preserved us? It was the mighty hand of God. It was his preservation coming out of the faucet. And yet we're seeing America almost in the final throes of death right now. America's struggling to breathe. This country's dying. And we're asking God, God, why aren't aren't we dying? God, where is your hand? God, why don't you do something? And God says, turn the faucet. God says, turn it back. That's repentance. The Bible says Psalms, they limited the Holy One of Israel. That's exactly what we're doing. God says, look, if you just turn back to me, it's for your good always. I know as kids, look, I was a kid one time. Believe it or not, teenagers, I promise, I was a kid. My mom and dad were here. Ask them, they'll bear witness of that. And I know you're thinking your your parents and preachers and Sunday school teachers, we just, you know, want to make our lives miserable, right? And what do they say? It's for your own good. Yeah, like you're not the one getting the whooping, you know? I can't see how this is my good. But, you know, we end up, we get a little bit smarter as we get older, I hope. And we realize it was for our own good. God says it's for your own good that you turn back to me because that's when the ble- that's why this country, just a little over 200 years old, has been the powerhouse of the world. Why? Because of Almighty God. We were under that spout where the blessings were coming out and God preserved us and now we're turning from him and God's no respect for person- persons. The wicked shall be turned into hell and some nations, no, all nations that forget God. We were up in Chattanooga a few weeks ago, and I really enjoy exploring that town. Looking forward to going up there with our couples retreat. Hope that you signed up for that. If you haven't signed up for that, be sure you do that, all right? We're going to have a good time. I scouted out all the foodie locations, and it's going to be good. I assure you that. I don't know if the preaching is going to be good, but the food is going to be good, that's for sure. And we were up at Chattanooga, and it was just pouring down rain. That was when the tornadoes were supposed to be moving through here. And we were up there, and it was just pouring down rain. And so as the good husband, I would carry the umbrella for my family. You know, it didn't matter if I got wet as long as I I kept them dry. Chivalry's not dead in America. And so I'm just carrying the umbrella. Well, the rain started to fall and Miley's feet's getting wet. So Miley just starts taking off running. Uh, I don't know if it was the rain or it was the Ben and Jerry's that were in front of us, but she was running out of the way. And I said, slow down, slow down. I said, look, I've got the umbrella, all right? And you can't outrun me. Stay with me now and you're gonna stay dry. The thunder's rolling. I said, no, stick with me and you'll stay dry. I said, just stay under the umbrella. Don't outrun me. Don't leave me. Why? Because I'm providing that shade that you need from the rain. And oh, as I was studying this afternoon, the Holy Spirit kind of pricked my heart just a little bit. and says, that's what you do, me. He's the one that provides the shelter, all right? He's the one that spreads his wings. Psalms 91. Turn there with me, if you will. Let's look at it together. Psalms 91, we know this well. Uh, the Christians 911. Psalms 91.1. Let's read it together. Not out loud, all right? We're not coordinated enough to do that yet. 
Psalms 91, look down at verse 1. He that dwelleth, stop right there. What is dwelling? It means staying put. Staying put, it means not forsaking. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. What does the word abide mean? Stay put under the shadow of the Almighty. Now watch how many words in these verses give us the clue to stay put. First we have dwelleth, then we have abide. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Refuge is a place you run and hide, correct? And my fortress. Fortresses, listen, they're not on wheels. They stay put. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Wait a minute. Who shall deliver thee? He will. When will he deliver us? When we stay put, stay under the umbrella, all right? He's the one providing the refuge. Keep reading. He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Hmm, I wonder if COVID would fit under that. Verse 4, he shall cover thee with the feathers and under his wings thou shalt, the Bible says, shalt thou trust under his wings. What is that saying? That says there's preservation with God. There's preservation with God. Boy, I look around the world we're living in, and I got a teenage daughter, and I got a home that we're trying to keep where God wants our home to keep. And look, it's a fight because the world pushes and pulls and peer pressures everywhere. And I think, God, you're just going to have to look after us. God, I can't hold all this together. God, I can't do it. He says, just get under the umbrella and stay there. Stay there. What did he say in verse 1? Dwell in that secret place of the Most High. Why? Because God provides preservation. But here's what we do. We run out on God. He's got the umbrella. He's the refuge. He's where we're supposed to stay. And we run out on God. And then we're sitting getting soaking wet in the rain. God, make the rain stop. God, I don't like getting wet. God says, come back to the umbrella. God says, I am exactly where you left me at. John Bunyan put it this way. He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him in the rest of the day. Don't run from God in the morning. You know what you ought to do first thing in the morning? Listen, go turn your coffee pot on and then drop to your knees and find that umbrella. I don't know how, but somehow I drift from God in my sleep. I'm not sure how the devil does that, but boy, you ever just wake up cranky? Go ahead, everybody shake your head, yeah, or you're lying. You wake up cranky and you're mad at your wife and you just can't even find a reason to be mad at her. But man, you just feel like being mad. Somehow while you were asleep, the devil drove a wedge between you and God and you got to get back to the refuge. Why? Because you're getting wet. God says, come back to me. But when we turn from him, we limit his preservation. Psalms 121.7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Number one tonight. Israel's finding out that when you forsake God, you limit preservation. Let's read verse 11. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for me to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Now, notice how desperate the scene is here. Verse 11, the Bible says the people sigh. Now, it's not the sigh that a lot of us do. Most of the time that we sigh, we sigh out of boredom, right? (sighs) I'm just so bored. You know, no new movies out, you know, uh, nowhere to go eat. Everything's locked up because of quarantine. That's not why they're sighing. They're sighing out of necessity. You see that what the Bible says in the next few words, they seek bread. They seek bread. This is amazing. Bread is one of the most basic of meals. 
All right, we're not talking about a, a T-bone steak they're sighing for. They're sighing for the most basic meal, which is bread. What are they finding out? Number two, not only has forsaken God, forsaking God limited their preservation, notice forsaking God has limited providence. It's limited providence. I think we've all heard that statement before of biting the hand that feeds you. We've all heard that. What they're doing is they are forsaking the hand that fed them. That's exactly what they did. Who provided them something to eat? Who promised to provide what they needed? Their father did. But when they forsook God, they forsook the one who provided what they needed to eat. Now, I looked up the origin of that phrase, biting the hand that feeds you, and it goes back to training dogs, okay? And one of the best ways to train dogs, uh, as I read in this article, was to give them something. When they do something right, give them good something to eat, all right? I try to live by that myself. Tell my wife, I do something good, just give me something to eat. And I, look, if she would just buy me a pizza every time I took out the garbage, I'd take out the garbage a little bit more often, but she just hadn't figured that out quite yet. They would give the dog something to eat, and that would kind of motivate him to keep doing that good action. But watch this. I found this amazing as I read the article. When the dog, they would try to train him and give him something to eat, and that dog would bite them. Watch. They quit giving him something to eat. Then you know what they started doing? They started whooping him. He didn't learn by giving him something to eat to reinforce good behavior. He didn't learn, and he snapped at the one who was giving him something to eat. And so now, rather than give him something to eat, now he's whooping them. Holy Spirit speaks up again this afternoon. It says, there's you again. How many times, look, have we sat under God's faucet and the blessings of God, the blessings of God come out. He blesses us with good health. Look, if you made it through 2020 in good health, boy, God blessed you. It touched so many families in our church. Boy, God blessed you. If, you. if you made it through 2020 and you still have your job, God blessed you. Oh, you sat under this faucet. And then somewhere along the line, we're going to have the audacity to turn away from God. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like going soul winning. And we're going to forsake God and turn from God. And all of a sudden, the blessings have been shut off. Providence is over. Why? Because we've bitten the hand that was blessing us and feeding us. The sad thing is, we're not much smarter than those dogs. God's so good to us. You know, David says he daily loadeth us with benefits. Daily? You ought to sit down one day, take a day off of work, and start writing down all the blessings you have in your life. And some of you that are too afraid to smile because you think your face is going to break, you wouldn't help but be able to smile. Because God's been good to all of us. He's daily loadeth us with benefits. And yet we don't realize where those benefits come from. Like in Hosea, we didn't realize it was God that gave us the corn and the oil. And then you know what God has to do? God has to start treating us like those dogs. God starts having us learn through the difficult ways. We read through the word of God. We find out God is a proven provider from Adam all the way through Revelation. You'll see God providing. What did God provide Adam and Eve? A beautiful, wonderful, perfect world. Go on to Genesis chapter 6. We'll see Noah. God provided a way for them to escape. He provided that ark. Oh, the goodness of God. Hebrews 11 says, to the saving of his house. We see in Moses where God provided a deliverer. I mean, God promised and God provided, and here comes Moses. And on and on throughout Scripture, we see God providing. Look, God is a provider. He is a proven provider. As a matter of fact, one of his names is Jehovah Jireh. That means God's a provider. Abraham says, hey, God is a provider. That's his very name. So we know God's a proven provider, but we keep reading Philippians 4 shows us God is a promise provider. What does it say? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
So God's a proven provider. Is he not? Yes, he is. And God is a promise provider. We have the word of God on it. And if you don't believe the word of God, you got bigger problems than that, all right? So we agree that God promises he will provide. Matter of fact, Matthew 6, his newly minted disciples, they're already thinking about it. I mean, you just feel like he took these disciples from the south. I really do. Because one of the first things he talks about with them is take no thought what you're going to eat. I mean, they're just Southern Baptist preachers there. You know that. They're just good old Baptist preachers worried about, all right, I'm not worried about preaching. I'm not worried about where I'm going to sleep. All right, what are we going to eat? He says, take no thought. Take no thought. I'll provide what you're going to eat, what you're going to say, where you're going to sleep. Take no thought for those things. And he puts a little parenthetical in there, and he says, the Gentiles, all right, the lost people, that's the things they worry about. Look, I'm your father. You shouldn't worry about, look, aren't you glad we don't have a deadbeat dad? Deadbeat father? Oh, no. He provides for his children. So he's a proven provider. He's a promise provider. So here's the question. Why would we forsake him? Because when we forsake the, the providential hand of God, when we forsake God and his hand in our life, we're forsaking the very hand that provided the blessings, the health, and the benefits that all of us enjoy on a daily basis. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do what Israel did in verse 11. You're going to come to a day to where you sigh. You see, when you forsake his presence, God's presence in your life, write it down. When you forsake his presence, you forsake his providence. They go hand in hand. You can't say, God, look, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to tell me how to think, how to act, what to say, what to watch, what to listen to. Don't tell me any of that. I don't want your presence or your hand in my life. And when you push out his hand and his presence, you're pushing out his providence. And you're missing out and you're going to sigh. You know, oftentimes, conversations I have with people, what they don't realize they're doing is they're just sighing. They're sighing. It's rough. Oh, it's rough when you forsake God. It's rough. The Bible says the people sigh. I believe tonight our world is sighing and we're wondering where God is and God is exactly where we left him. We're standing out in the rain, complaining about the rain when the one who's holding that umbrella is standing right there where we forsook him all along. And we have to repent and get back to him. Matthew 13, 58. I want you to think about this passage and allow God to apply this to your life. The Bible says when Jesus came back to Nazareth, they looked at him and they said, is this not the carpenter's son? We know him, you know. That's, that, that's the guy from our hometown. We know him. And, you know, they just kind of just brushed him off because they thought they knew who he was. They'd seen and heard it all before. And the Bible says in Matthew 13, 58, listen close, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, wait a minute. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Notice they had a direct hand in God's hand. He wanted to bless and to work as he did everywhere he went. He raised the dead. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. Oh, he did mighty works. Now, it didn't say he didn't do any works, did it? It says he did not many mighty works, so he did some, but not what he could have done. Do you know what that is? Limited. Because of their unbelief, it was just a trickle 
of what he could do. I believe tonight so many of us are living underneath the blessings of God and all we're getting is that trickle of his preservation, that little bit of a trickle of his providence. Why? Because we've turned from him and forsaken him. And we are the reason that we're not having the mighty works of God in our life. We want God to do something mighty in America tonight. And we're the holdup. So how do you know that? 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We've quoted it all throughout last year. If my people, I tell you all the time, when I read that verse, I see the first part and the last part. If my, then I. If my. That means it's us. And God may not be doing mighty works here in our country because of our unbelief. At least tonight, the answer to our sighs has been God all along. We're sighing, we're frustrated. God, why is this not happening right? And why is this not going right? And God, why are we missing out on this? And the answer has been God all along. It's right there. Why did God preserve the book of Lamentations for us? I mean, it's not the funnest book to read. It's not the book you want to sit down and say, man, that's just so exciting and enjoyable. No, why did God preserve this? Because he wants us to understand when you forsake him and his presence, you forsake his providence. God's not going to bless you while you're turned away from him. By the way, that's something we could teach our kids. I oftentimes see parents continue to bless their children in disobedience. And oh, they have a hard shot coming when they are standing before God. Because God, watch this, is faithful and just. God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. So number two, we see that when they forsook God, they have limited the providence of God. I read a story about an Indian one time that stumbled into one of our our westward settlements as our country began to grow and to move west. He stumbled in, and he had not eaten for a while. His ribs were showing and could barely speak. He was so weak. And the settlers, based on a true story, began giving him water and bread to kind of help revive him. And he's sitting there, he can barely speak, doesn't speak hardly any English at all. And they're feeding him, trying to get him revived, find out who he is and where he's from. And while they fed him, he, he, he laid there on a gurney. He had a red ribbon around his neck with a small bag in it. Uh, they asked him, you know, because they take it off. And so he, they let, he gave it to them. And he opened up, it was his little bag. And inside that bag was an old, dingy, greasy piece of paper. Inside that piece of, on that piece of paper was a handwritten commission from George Washington himself, retiring that gentleman as a scout for the Continental Army to a lifetime pension, a place to live, and food to eat. And yet here he was, starving, because he did not realize what he had around his neck. All along was exactly what he needed and what he was sighing for. It was right there. Because of the service he had provided to our young country, George Washington signed the order himself, giving him that pension, giving him what he needed and what he was sighing for. Now, folks, this is the little sack around our neck. It's right here. And we are starving, we are sighing, and we are living a spiritually limited life. We are missing out on all that this this faucet of the blessings of God could bestow upon us, and we're missing it because we don't realize that we're limited of the providence of God because we've turned from him. We turn the faucet off, all right? And we could turn the faucet back on if we just repented and turned back to God. God would provide again. Why? Because God always honors his word. God's going to keep his word. 
Folks, look, I know we're getting toward the end times. I know the trouble of God could sound any moment, but I don't want to kick this thing into cruise control. I want to see God work at Central Baptist Church until the trumpet of God sounds. I want our young people to see the hand of God in this place, seeing people saved, lives changed, our community reached, and God can still do that, and God wants to do that, but not until we turn the faucet back on. We're not going to see those things. God's hand is at the ready. His promises are still good. You know what we need to do? We need to unfold that little greasy piece of paper called the word of God and claim it for ourselves because the providence of God is there, but it requires us turning back to him. So number two, notice limited providence. And then finally, verse 12, there's a question being asked. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Now, what's going on? They're sitting here in great affliction. Everything's destroyed, and they're sitting there, and there's passers-by. And they're asking a question, is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Notice there's no one coming to share compassion with them. By just passing by, does anybody care what we're going through and the sorrow that we're experiencing? Is it nothing to you? Here's what's happening. They have forsaken the only one that will have pity on them. I want you to think about this for a moment. They have forsaken the only one that would have pity on them, and now because they have forsaken God, number three, they have limited pity. Now, let me explain pity for you. Psalms 103.13, the Bible says, As a father pities children, O the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Pity means this, a soothing, gentle emotion of mercy. I remember when Miley was little, you know, and she was clumsy, clumsier than she is now, clumsy, you know, falling down, scraping her knee, hurting herself, and man, she comes up, and she's in, a bad, she's in bad shape, you know. Kid sees blood. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. Oh, you know. And I said, baby, it's just a thorn, you know. And we were picking blackberries, and she gets a thorn, and it's just the end of the world. And, you know, when she comes up to me, I didn't holler at her and scream at her. Come here, baby. Come here. And boy, dad's doing surgery, taking that thorn out. And dad's getting a Band-Aid. Mom's getting a Band-Aid, putting it on there. I'm pitying her. I'm having compassion and mercy because of the state that she is in, all right? We don't think of pity as looking down on someone. No, no, don't pity them that way. God pities us as children, as you pity your children. But notice they've forsaken the only one that would have compassion on them. There's no one that now stands to help them. I think about our dear country that I love. And oh, how our country's in bad shape tonight. We're in bad shape. And yet the world just passes on. We want somebody to care. We want somebody to have the answer, someone to soothe us and comfort us. But we've turned our back on the only one that can. Do you know there's nobody on earth who can offer us the soothing compassion for the state that we're in other than God? There's nobody that can supply that compassion, that mercy that we need like God. And we sit here wondering where the answer is and the answer is where we left it. The only one who can give us that pity as a father. The Bible says, the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You see this in the life of the prodigal son. I'll give you this and we'll be done. Prodigal son forsook his father, did he not? Forsook his father. The father provided everything he needed, the life, the livelihood, and took care of him. 
He forsook his father to go into the far country, so he turned off that faucet and decided to go in the far country and get what he wanted from there. And man, he had people that were willing to partake of the resources he had. But lo and behold, when it was all gone, where were they? I wonder how many of those friends sat with him in the mud. I wonder how many of those who drank up his money and partied with his money, his inheritance that he had, the resources he had, I wonder how many of those friends said, you know what, man, I hate that you're in the shape that you're in. We're going to come and sit in the mud with you. The Bible doesn't say, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't think any of them did. I think he was all by himself, and there was no one there to pity him. And so what did he do? Oh, that boy had some sense, had a lot more sense sometimes than we do. He says, you know what, man, when I was at my dad's place, Man, the faucet was on, and the servants at my dad's house, the servants that are under that faucet are doing better than I am. So he says to myself, he says to himself, you know, I'm going back to get on the faucet. I'm going to rise and go to my father and tell my father that I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be his son. Do you know what that's called? Repentance. I'm not going back in pride. I'm going back humbly before my father and say, Dad, I messed up. I messed up. He turned back to his father, and all of a sudden, every time he said, Dad, I'm sorry, I've been out and about doing things I knew better to do, and I'm not worthy to be your son, all of a sudden, that faucet came on again. His dad says, go get him a robe, go get him a ring, and you go get that fatted calf, and we're fixing to have the biggest barbecue you've ever seen for my son, which was dead. He's now alive. Folks, that's what our father wants to do for us. Right? We're sitting over there in the mud and we're complaining about the stink of the hog slop, but we're there because we turned away from God. And when you forsake God, you forsake the only one that can give you the pity and compassion and the mercy that you need. And tonight he offers it to us all. It's the lesson of uh, limitation. It's not lemons, all right? Limitations. When Israel forsook her God, she forsook the only one that could preserve her. Now hear me this. Understand this tonight. You can't ask for his help without yielding to his hand, all right? Don't ask for his help if you're not willing to yield to his hand. Why? Because when you turn from God, you limit the preservation of God. If we want God to preserve this country for our children, which I hope you do, the only way this country is going to be preserved if we as his people turn back to him. Number two, when she forsook God, she forsook her provider. When you forsake his presence, you forsake his providence. And finally, when they forsook God, they forsook their pity when you forsake his company, you forsake his compassion. Now, here's what I wonder tonight. In your heart and your mind, the Holy Spirit of God can make it just as clear to you as he needs to. I wonder what the faucet looks like tonight. Is there preservation there? Can you tell that the hedge is intact? Oh, it was intact in Job's life. Is the hedge intact? Is God's preservation in your life? Or have you turned away from him a little bit? And punched a hole in that hedge. He said, man, I'm just taking it from all sides and I just can't fight off all of this. Could there be there's a hole in your hedge that that preservation is not what it could be because you turned away from God or maybe God's not providing. Why isn't God? Look, when the blessings of God stop in your life and the providence of God stops in your life, something's wrong. Why? Because God takes care of his children. A lady came to my office one time just griping and complaining about how she's always in need. Three or four times a month, she's coming to my office all the time. I got to have money to get back to Baton Rouge. I told her one day, if you just stayed in Baton Rouge, you wouldn't have to get back to Baton Rouge, but that's beside the point. And she says, I just don't have money, and I just got to buy food and all this, that, and the other. Finally, one day, I says, wait a minute. After three weeks, I said, you a child of God? Yes, absolutely. I said, well, one or two things are happening here. Either God's a deadbeat father or you're not right with him. 
No, I wasn't trying to be mean. Look, I'm trying to help her get the faucet back on. I wanted to have the blessings of God, the providence of God again. Could it be tonight that that providence is not there? Because we've turned from God, and when we turn from God, we turn the faucet off. Or maybe tonight we need mercy, and we need compassion. And the only way we're going to get that mercy or compassion is from the only one who can give it, and that's God. Can I ask you tonight, is the faucet limited? Are we learning that lesson of limitations tonight because we've turned from God? Here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can get the faucet turned back on tonight. But the question is, will we turn back? Heads are bowed tonight, eyes are closed.